0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So this segment, 8 to 9 o'clock on WZBC AM Sports Radio, will be the time slot for me and Zach's show from last year, the playbook of Joey and Zach. It'll be Wednesday nights, 8 to 9. Tonight, Zach couldn't make it, so I figured I'll come in, give a quick uh, episode of my own. I'll talk some college football, college hockey, also talk about what's going on in the MLB and the playoffs. So hopefully you guys enjoy it. So I'll start off with the MLB and the Wild Card Rounds. I'll start off with some of the matchups that obviously were big ones. The Mets playing the Padres. Ended up being a tough game for the Mets. Tough series. I thought the Mets were going to win the series in three. Ended up losing to the Padres in three games. The Padres won 6-0 in Game 3 behind seven shout-out innings from Joe Musgrove. Five strikeouts and one walk with one hit allowed from him. As for the Padres' offense, one Soto was 2-4 for with two RBIs. Chris Bassett was on the mound for the Mets. I thought the Mets were actually going to win Game 3. I thought that's what it was going to come down to. I thought it would come down to Bassett. Versus Musgrove, thought they'd win game three. Bassett ended up coming up a little bit flat. Four innings pitched, three earned runs, three hits allowed, three walks and two strikeouts. But I think the big thing for the Mets was they only had one hit. They were held to one hit. Obviously one hit in seven innings from Musgrove, and then they got no hits in the last two innings. So the offense went cold at the wrong time for the Mets and obviously ends up causing them a whole postseason run. I thought the Mets were going to make a run in the postseason, in the NL this year, and obviously came up short. But wishing them nothing but the best in the offseason. My roommate Dan, big Mets fan, so I'll always be rooting for the Mets for him. And then also a couple guys I met this year, Dan and Phil, Phil from BC, and then Dan as well, a Giants fan. Both of those guys, I will be rooting for the Mets in the future for them as well. But obviously this year, this year just didn't work out. Hopefully in the future things change for them. Anyways, the Rays were swept by the Guardians. Guardians won game two, won nothing behind six shutout innings from Tristan McKenzie, who had eight strikeouts, two walks, and two hits allowed in six innings pitched. The Guardians' lone run, which was the game-winning run, they only scored one run, was off an Oscar Gonzalez home run, big home run there for him. Obviously wins on the series and beats the Rays in a 2-0 sweep of the game three, of the three-game series in the Wild Con round. The Toronto Blue Jays were swept by the Mariners in two games. So there you go. That's two AL East opponents for the Red Sox, the Rays and the Blue Jays. Both of them swept in two games. One by the Guardians, that being the Rays. And then obviously the Blue Jays being swept by the Mariners in two games. The Mariners won game two by a score of 10 to 9. It's so a very high scoring game. Teosca Hernandez was very hot for that Blue Jays team. Two home runs and four RBIs in game two for the Jays but it was not enough. Seattle scored four runs in the top of the eighth and then also an insurance run in the top of the ninth, or the game-winning run, that is, actually, to win 10-9. A J.P. Crawford double tied it up in the eighth, and then Adam Frazier came up to the plate in the ninth with a double to score the game-winning run for the Mariners in the top half of that ninth inning. The Cardinals were swept by the Phillies in two games. The Phillies had a very strong showing from their pitching staff in those two games. In game one, Zach Wheeler, their ace, which Aaron is their ace as well. They have two great pitches. Went six and a third innings pitched with four strikeouts and one walk. The Phillies were actually down two to one heading into the top of the ninth inning and scored six straight runs. A Gene Segura double was their game winning run, but the Phillies kept stacking on runs. Very gutsy team ended up winning that game by a score of seven to two. So, big win for that Phillies team. As I said, we're down two to one, and then obviously their luck changed, they ended up winning. Aaron Nola went for them in game two on the mound, six and two thirds innings pitched. With four hits allowed, no earned runs, no runs allowed at all. Six strikeouts to one walk in game two. Bryce Hopper also hit a home run in game two. He was two for four in that game. So very good series in that wild card round for that Phillies team against the Cardinals. I think now they're picking up their confidence at the right time. If you look at what they did against the Cardinals, two best hitters, two of the best hitters in the NL. Paul Goldschmidt was 0 for 4 with three strikeouts in game two against the Cardinals. Did not have a hit in the series for the for the Cardinals versus the Phillies, I mean. And then you look at Nolan Arenado, another stud player in that Cardinals lineup, was 0-4 two strikeouts in Game 2 and hit 125 in that series against the Phillies. So very impressive showing by the Phillies team. I think they're getting caught just at the right time. Now i Divisional Series matchups. The Mariners and the Astros. The Astros are currently up one to nothing in the series. They went 8-7 to yesterday. Seattle started very hot in the game, scored four runs in the first two innings. Houston ended up scoring 5 runs total in the 8th and ninth inning to win the game. Seattle's offense was very hot. 13 hits. This team could swing the bat. Everyone knows that. But obviously, just did not have enough in the tank, losing the game 8-7. to seven. And if you look at it, it was just a tough finish. Jordan Alvarez comes up to the plate, hits a game-winning 3-run home run. Obviously, you're not going to have much luck if you're going up against an Astros team with just a small lead. You want to have a comfortable lead versus that team. And obviously, they had that, though. They had a comfortable lead. we up 4 runs in the first two innings, and then things just faded away in that eighth and ninth inning. I think that's the thing with the Astros. You never have a big enough lead against that team. They obviously find a way to win games and found ways to win games in the last few years, even after the whole sign-stealing scandal. The West couple years have still been a good team even without that. But you look at it, game two is tomorrow in Houston at 3.37 p.m. Eastern time. The starters is Louis Castillo on the mound for Seattle. Eight and six record on the year since being traded over from the Cincinnati Reds to the Mariners at the trade deadline with a two nine nine ERA on the year versus Freeman Valdez, 17 and six record with a two eight two ERA for the Astros on the year. I think the Astros win this series in four games. Although I think the Mariners could make it a very interesting series and maybe make it go five. I think the Astros win this series in four. Had the Mariners maybe one game One, who knows? That might have changed my opinion, but I think the Astros now are set up to win in four games. Next up, I got the Phillies and the Braves. The Phillies are up one to nothing in the series. The Phillies had a huge 7-6 win yesterday. Very gutsy performance by the Phillies yet again. I think that's something about this team. They've found ways to win games, beating the Cardinals two times, very impressive. And then obviously now being up one-nothing against the Braves. They're 3-0 now in the playoffs. Very gutsy performance, as I said. They scored two runs in the first inning, started to get very hot. The Phillies actually got eight hits and six runs off of Braves' ace, Max Freed. He had four earned runs out of those six runs allowed, with only two strikeouts. Bryce Hopper, the Phillies' star MVP of the 2021 season in the NL, was 3-for-3 with a walk and a run score to the double as well. So 4-for-4 on base there for Bryce Hopper. Then you look at it, Nick Castellanos. Three for five with three RBIs and a run scored. As I said, this Phillies team has found ways to win. There's no other way to put it. They have found ways to win, as seen in their two-game sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals in the wildcard round, winning game one, six to three, and then winning game two, two to nothing. And then now obviously beating the Braves yesterday, seven to six. So they've just found ways to win. And I think that's what's what it's going to take to beat this Braves team tomorrow. Obviously, very good pitching matchup. It is Kyle Wright on the mound for the Braves. 21-5 record on the year with a 3-1-9 ERA. Then you look at it. For the Phillies, it is Zach Wheeler on the mound. 12-7 record with a 2-8-2 ERA and 163 strikeouts in 153 innings pitched. Wheeler pitched very well in that first series, as I pointed out, against the Cardinals. Ended up playing very well in that Game 1 against the Cardinals. Going 6 third innings pitched with 4 strikeouts and a walk. He's looking to stay hot tomorrow. Versus that Braves lineup, obviously it being a huge game. I think the Phillies end up winning this series in five games. I said there's something different about this Phillies team. And I've always been a Phillies fan. My grandfather was a Phillies fan. So shout out to my grandfather. He was a big Phillies guy. So I was very much a Phillies fan growing up over the last five to ten years because of him. So I will be rooting for them to have a good game tomorrow. That game will be tomorrow, I believe, at... No, it's tonight, actually. I'm wrong. They play... I was looking at the other game that I was talking about, and that was... The Astros and Marin is playing tomorrow at 337. The Phillies and the Braves are right now. Something different about the teams, I said. I think they're heating up at the right times. So who knows? But it's 0-0 zero zero right now. The Phillies have two hits through four-innings pitched. The Braves have none. It is 0-0 zero zero with Wheeler on the mound and right, right on the mound for that Braves team. So very interesting matchup. Hopefully the Phillies end up winning. Uh, I will be rooting for them. As I said, my grandfather was a Phillies fan. So I've always found ways to root for teams that – all the people around me were a fan of, the Giants I grew up being a fan of, but at the same time, I like some players on some certain teams, I end up rooting for them. So I find ways to root for as many teams as I can possible. My grandfather liked the Phillies, so I will be rooting for the Phillies to make a run. I think they win this series in five games. As for the next series, the Padres and Dodgers, and one thing about that Braves game, it was supposed to start earlier, that Braves-Phillies game, it ended up having a delay, so now they're only in the fourth inning, 0-0. Zero, zero. So I'll keep you guys posted about what happens there. As for the Padres-Dodgers game, last night the Dodgers won they lead the series one to nothing they won that first game five to three last night they actually had a five nothing lead after three innings LA had six hits in five runs four of those being earned off Mike Clevenger three strikeouts in two walks from Clevenger in those innings pitched by him. The Dodgers were led by Trey Turner, who went two for four with two runs scored, an RBI, a double, in a home run. Turner had a great game, I and mean, he's been one of the best hitters in the NL this year. I'm going to talk about him in just a minute when I'm talking about some NL, AL news across the MLB and who hit well in both leagues. As for the Padres, their offense was really stagnant until the end of the game. Scored three runs, obviously they were down five nothing, end up scoring three runs, but they had a home run from Will Myers. He's hitting only .083. 83 in the postseason so far. Mookie Betts was cold yesterday. He was over four with a strikeout, so expect him to get hot in that game, that next game, which is tonight, actually, at 8.37 p.m. Hugh Darvish is on the mound for the Padres, 16-8 record on the year with a 3-1 ERA versus Clayton Kershaw, who is 2-3 on the year with a 2-2-8 ERA. So I got the Dodgers actually winning this series in four games. I think the Padres will steal a game, but I think the Dodgers win this in four games. I think it ends up being the NLCS, Matchup being the Padres, excuse me, the Phillies versus the Dodges, and we'll see what my prediction is when that time comes around. The last series in the divisional series is the Yankees. They are up one to nothing versus the Guardians. They won last night four to one against the Guardians in New York. Garrett Cole went six and a third innings pitched with one earned run, eight strikeouts, and one walk in four hits allowed in those six and third innings pitched. Harrison Bader, who the Yankees got in a trade at the deadline for Jordan Montgomery from the Cardinals, hit a home run, didn't play much at the end of that regular season. After being traded to the Yankees from the Cardinals, he had an injury, but had played very well yesterday, hit a home run uh, in the third inning, tied up the game. Another Yankees acquisition in the offseason was Josh Donaldson in that trade that traded Urshela and Gary Sanchez to the twins brought kind of Falefa and Donaldson over to the Yankees. Donaldson was two for two yesterday with the walk as well. So three for three on base for him, Anthony Rizzo, the Yankees got last year at the trade deadline, I believe, and then also re-signed him in the off season, had a two run home run in the sixth inning yesterday. and The Yankees never looked back after that. Cal Quant- uh, Quantrill, Surrendered four runs and had three earned runs with four hits allowed, five strikeouts, with three walks, and five innings pitched for the Guardians. So Quantrill's not, not his best game. Obviously, he did give up three runs in those five innings pitched. As for one positive note for that Guardians team, Stephen Kwan hit a home run off at Garrett Cole in the third inning yesterday. He's, he was actually two for four in that game. Had a very good regular season. He's only a rookie and was about a three three hundred hitter. I think the whole year at two ninety eight. So very good year for Kwan. He also adds some stolen base uh, ability as well. He stole I think nineteen stolen bases in the regular season. Also at two ninety eight. That's just off the top of my head. I could be wrong about that, but very good hitter. I think the Yankees win this series though in four games. As for some other things to look at. Across the MLB, Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman are actually the first teammates since Ichiro and Brett Boone in 2001 to finish first and second in hits in their respective leagues. So Boone and Ichiro obviously in the AL, and now Turner and Freeman in the NL. That could be also across the whole MLB. I think actually they both led. Let me check those stats there to actually make sure I'm right there. But very impressive season for those two guys, both of them, Turner and Freeman, having very big years for that Dodgers team, that Dodgers powerhouse. Actually, not even just it being AL versus NL. They led the American League, NL, both of those together. They led the entire major leagues in hits with 199 for Freddie Freeman and then 194 for Trey Turner. So two of the best hitters in the game of baseball. Both of them finished first and second in hits. The first teammates to do so since since Idro and Brett Boone did it for the Mariners in 2001. Another storyline, Justin Verlander, 39 years old, had a 175 ERA with a .829 Whip in the regular season, 18-4, record in 28 starts with 185 strikeouts and 180 innings pitched. Ridiculous year four, Verlander, 39 years old, gave the best season of his career. He did get lit up for six earned runs with 10 hits allowed in four innings pitched against the Mariners yesterday, but his regular season performance was probably the best of his whole career. Jordan Alvarez, as I said, did hit a walk-off home run in that game in the bottom of the ninth, a three-run home run to pick Verlander up. He ended up not getting the loss. So it was a no decision for Verlander. Another thing I saw in a CBS Sports graphic was that Shohei Ohtani had more home runs in 2022 than Jokalo Stanton with a higher batting average in Mookie Betts, a lower ERA than Garrett Cole, and more strikeouts on the mound than Justin Verwendo. So very impressive year for Shohei Ohtani. I think at the end of the day, if you look at it, if Aaron Judge wasn't almost a triple crown winner, which I know he ended up not being the triple crown winner, and obviously Lewis Arise ended up being the... American League batting average leader. If Judge didn't have that big of a year, which I'm talking to talk about Judge in a second, I think Sherry Otani probably would have been the AL MVP. But I think Judge deserves it, although Otani did make a run at the end. Aaron Judge hit his 62nd home run last season, so a week ago from yesterday in game 161 of the season versus the Texas Rangers. Definitely was a lot of pressure on him to break that AL record of 62 set by Roger Maris. After hitting his 60th home run on September 20th versus the Pirates, it took Aaron Judge eight games, to tie Maris' 61 home run record, and then also 14 games to beat Maris's record with 62 home runs on the year. So, in that 14 game stretch, after hitting his 60th home run, he had 244, walked 18 times in 60 plate appearances. So, he's still getting on base with a 483 on base percentage and only three runs batted in. And as I said, it took 14 games for him to hit those two home runs and he needed to break the record. But I'm happy the pressure is off him now, hitting very well. I've obviously obviously been a big fan of Aaron Judge over the years and looking forward to him, hopefully having a big postseason. And one last thing I stumbled across when I was looking across stats across the MLB, what happened to Cody Bellinger? In his first three years in the MLB from 2017 to 2019, he was one of the best hitters in baseball. In 450 games played, had 111 home runs with 288 runs batted in, a 278 batting average, and a 928 OPS. But then you look at his next three seasons from 2020 to 2022, 41 home runs in 295 games, which he had 111 home runs in 450 games before the last 295 games where he had 41 home runs. 134 RBIs over those 295 games with a 201 batting average compared to a 278 batting average in those three years before and a 644 OPS. And if you look at it, 41 home runs in three seasons he's had over the last three years. He hit 39 home runs as a rookie in 2017 and then had 47 in 2019. 47 in 2019 was more than he had in the last three years combined put together. And if you look at what he did in the regular season, hit 210 with 19 home runs, 68 RBIs, and a 654 OPS, it had me thinking, what happened to Cody Bellinger? Obviously, he had a ton of injuries in 2021. 2020, it being a shortened season, no one really had a great season that year. I don't know what happened to Cody Bellinger, but... Something changed in his game, and hopefully I'm rooting for him to obviously turn things around. He's hitting ninth in that Dodgers lineup, so it's ridiculous that they can have such a good lineup where Cody Bellinger, former MVP who's struggling, as I said, hitting two ten on the air, is still in the lineup and hitting ninth. Just ridiculous how good that Dodgers team. And I've said it before, the Dodgers are one of the most well-run sports organizations in all sports. And I say one of, they are the most well-run sports organization in all sports. Last time I checked, they had seven prospects in the top 100 top prospects in the MLB. Out of the top 100 prospects on MLB.com, the Dodgers had seven of them, and they also spend the most money in the major leagues. So not only do they have the best future in their farm system, which five, six, or seven of those guys are going to make it up into the major leagues in the next year or two, but they also spend the most money. That Dodgers team is not afraid to win. They're not afraid to go all in. I respect that about them. That's why I'm a fan of them. I think they're the well most well-run organization all of sports, and that's why I'm a fan of them. I will be rooting for them in the postseason. As for the Red Sox, they actually finished in last place in the AL East. That was their fifth time since 2012. And I'm going to break down a statistic I saw online. Last place finishes in the AL East since 2012, the Yankees have never finished in last since 2012. The Rays have one last place finish. The Blue Jays have one last, post, uh, last place finish. The Orioles have four last place finishes, and the Red Sox lead the AL East in last place finishes since 2012 with five last place finishes. Five last place finishes in the division, just unacceptable for the Red Sox. And obviously, they have a lot of work to do in the offseason. Finished the year 26 and 50 in the AL East. So, obviously, a big reason the Red Sox missed the playoffs and went 78 and 84. 78 wins, 84 losses. A big reason of that is how poor they were in the division. So obviously the Red Sox have a lot of work to do in the off season, and one thing that they have to look at is what's next up for Hyun Bloom. What's next up? You got Nate Evaldi; he was a free agent after this year. He's been your ace the last couple of years with Chris Sale being hurt. Three eight seven ERA on the year with a six and three record with one hundred and three strikeouts in one hundred nine and third innings pitched. Micah Walker also a free agent. He was a Red Sox best pitcher on the year a three three two ERA with an eleven and two record, and also signed a one year seven million dollar contract in the offseason. So that was an absolute steal, and he's definitely going to get a multi-year deal, four or five years in this offseason. Hopefully it's the Red Sox, but who knows? Rich Hill, he is also a free agent for the Red Sox this year. And one thing I want to highlight, Rich Hill in his last five games the Red Sox had a 2-1 record on the mound with 30 strikeouts of seven walks and seven earned runs in 26 and two-thirds, two-thirds innings pitched and a 2 ERA in those five games. So he finished the end of his Red Sox tenure of those five games or his, of his Red Sox tenure. He finished those five games very hot. With a 2-1 record, 30 strikeouts to 7 walks, 7 earned runs in 26 and 2 thirds innings pitched, and a 2 ERA. And if you look at his last two games, were his best two games of the season, his best two-game stretch of the year. 2-0 record with 15 strikeouts to 2 walks, with 8 hits allowed, and 1 earned run in 12 innings pitched, with a .75 ERA and a 71% strike percentage. So he was locked in, 71% strikes on the mound, and his last three innings pitched on Monday night, last Monday night that is, hit 36 strikes. In forty four pitches with an eighty one percent strike percentage. So, if that's the end of his tenure with the Red Sox, Rich Hill went out on a high note, and who knows what his future holds. Obviously, with the Red Sox, maybe they end up picking him up in the offseason, signing him to a new deal. But we'll see what happens there. And one last thing I want to highlight for that Red Sox team: JD Martinez at two eighty four in September with five home runs and twelve RBIs and an eight eighty nine OPS. In September, he had 353 in his last nine games. The Red Sox with four home runs and seven IBIs in a 1.183 OPS. Obviously, finished on high note. I don't think the Red Sox end up re signing him. As for Santa Boguts in September, he had 302 with three home runs, 13 IBIs, and an 8.19 OPS. Finishing the year, obviously, on high note, being one of the best hitters in the American League and batting average. But who knows? Boguts is a free agent at Obviously, now, I was going to say at the end of the season, he's a free agent now. And Rafael Dev's only has one more year left. So Devin and got that should be the Red Sox. Main priority in the offseason is signing both those guys. But we will see, obviously, what happens there. Obviously, the Red Sox, in the past, with the new guys in the front office, High and Bloom just has not wanted to spend money. Has not wanted to spend money. If you look at it, the contract he gave to Trevor Story, $120 million, was the most money he gave out in a single contract. And then after that, The two-year $14 million deal he gave Kike Hernandez in 2021 in the offseason is the most money he's giving out in a single contract. The most money he's given out in a single contract was that deal to Kike Hernandez. That one-year $14 million. That's what it was. One-year $14 million, I believe it was. And then now, obviously, Kike getting a $10 million deal in this... During the season, they end up giving him that. So we'll see what happens, obviously, in the offseason for Red Sox. But their main priority should be getting Devis and Bogots back in a Red Sox uniform. I think Bogots has less of a chance to be back. I think Devis, I'd say it's about 70% chance right now He is back in a Red Sox uniform. With a long-term contract coming into this year, I think he will be Red Sox at the start of the season, no matter what. But I think there's a 70% chance that Red Sox pay him over this offseason. As for Bogarts... I'd say it's a 45%, 50% chance. I don't think it's a guarantee. I think there's a good chance he is no longer in a Red Sox uniform come next offseason or come next season during this offseason. I think he will be paid by a team that respects it and respects how much money, how much money he deserves. I know the Red Sox were low-balling Bogotts. They're low-balling Devis. At the end of the day, if you're going to be low-balling guys like Bogotts and Devis, homegrown talent, there's no chance you're going to pay a guy like Aaron Judge in the offseason. I know some Red Sox fans – think Aaron Judge is a possibility to go to the Red Sox. I think Aaron Judge either ends up in San Francisco with the Giants, maybe even the Mets, or he stays put in New York. I don't think the Red Sox really have a chance there with him. But we'll see what happens there. Obviously, the Red Sox have a lot to figure out, as I said. But hopefully things work out for this Sox team. Obviously, a sad sad year being 78-84. and 84, But uh, tough season for the Red Sox. Didn't finish it on the highest note. Obviously not making the playoffs. But they did finish September, as I said. A little bit hot winning three games straight at the end of the season against the Rays, and then obviously, I think they took two out of three from the I believe it was the Blue Jays. Now, the Blue Jays, we definitely did take two out of three from the Blue Jays, always kill us, but uh, I believe it was two out of three from the Orioles at the end of the season. So, finish the season at least on a higher note, and obviously, things just have to work off the Red Sox in, in the offseason. They were three and two in October, 12 and 14 September. So, as I said, to not finish the season as hot as they should have. But they did win three straight games against the Rays, then lost three straight to the Blue Jays, but then swept the Orioles. It took three out of four from the Orioles. So their last three series, three out of four against the Orioles, got swept in three games against the Blue Jays, and then swept the Rays in three games. So that's six wins and three losses, or six wins and four losses in their last ten games played, and all of those games being in the AL East against the Orioles, Blue Jays, and Rays, finishing the season, at least on a high note, which, as I said, Great games from Rich Hill, obviously pitching very well for that Red Sox team. Anyways, that concludes my talk about the Red Sox. I have my friend Mark Walsh, Mark Walsh Music, coming on to talk about Northeastern hockey and everything sports. He's been my best friend now since fourth grade, over 10 years now plus. He's been my best friend, been with me every step of the way. I have him coming on right now to talk about Northeastern hockey and everything sports. Always a pleasure having him come on to my show. Last year, then also my podcast over the summer as well. The kid knows all things sports, so excited to get him on now.
1: Hey, what's
0: going on? Mark Walsh Music, baby. How are we doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Joey? Hey, doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, as always. It's a pleasure having you come on to talk everything sports. And I did give a quick preview of your music. I told everyone Mark Walsh Music, check him out on Spotify, check him out on Apple Music. He's got a couple songs up there now, hopefully some more songs coming soon. But I'm a big fan of him, one of the best people in the music industry. The future is bright for the kids. So check (laughs) out his music on Spotify, Mark Walsh Music on Instagram, and then Mark Walsh on Spotify as well.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, Appreciate I hope it. you enjoyed the, uh, the shout out. As always, I give you that. Let everyone know you are the GOAT. But anyways, hey, how are you doing? How are things going?
1: I'm doing good, man. Uh, I heard you just talked MLB baseball. You got a, got a big playoffs coming up. I was watching the games yesterday as well.
0: Yes? And no, you've been locked uh, in.
1: You've been yeah, locked in.
0: Who do you yes, like in the playoffs? So that's the thing. So I have the Dodgers and the Phillies winning their series, and I got the Yankees and the Astros uh, for reasons, obviously. But who do you think – ends up coming out of all those series. I know obviously we're not Astros fans, but I think they end up coming out of that series. What do you think of who's your bold team? Who's your what's your bold prediction in the MLB playoffs? Which my my none of mine are really bold, besides the Phillies, I, mean, I guess.
1: Exactly. Now that each each series is at least a game in and obviously some change for the Phillies who are playing tonight. And um I forget what the other game is as of right now. I think it's the Dodgers. Dodgers who are playing Padres
0: again? at eight thirty seven, yes. just about starting now, yes.
1: Yes. Um so, I, I think the Phillies, especially if they can get the win tonight, uh, I definitely like them going to the NLCS. Um, I would have taken the Mariners before Game 1, but after that demoralizing walk-off uh, yesterday, I don't know if you said this on the broadcast yet, but it was the first uh, playoff walk-off home run when trailing by multiple runs.
0: I actually never knew that. So, I did not know that yeah. statistic. Wow, look at you coming in with stats.
1: statistic. I saw the MLB posted that today, and I actually couldn't believe it, but... Um, Yeah, absolutely demoralizing for the Mariners, a franchise that, you know, has uh, managed to not have playoff success and uh, finally not get there for 20 years. So, you know, maybe they can turn it around going into the next game. Uh, But Houston's just such a deep team. Yeah, I mean, you saw they kept fighting back yesterday. I I think they go to the ALCS as well. And for your other two picks, Yankees, Dodgers, I I don't disagree there at all.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, you've been following heavily. I love that you're locked into the MLB postseason. And one thing about the Phillies yesterday was always that night, they almost had a collapse giving up four runs in that ninth oh, inning, enough. Four runs. But they ended up getting some great plays in the field. Nick Castellanos, which I know we were texting about this, made a great play in right field for that Phillies team. If you look at it, he was on a great field in regular season. I think that's the main thing everyone always talks about is his ability on the field, not being a great glove, not having a great arm. But – He made a big play when it mattered most yesterday, and then obviously had a great game at the plate. So I know me and you are both rooting for that Phillies team. Obviously my grandfather was a Phillies fan uh, for reasons, and obviously you know uh, as well now they're getting hot. So it's a good time to be a Phillies fan, and it's a good time to be following baseball. I mean, you've been locked in. I love it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It is a great time. It's because of
0: MLB The Show. I think that's it. You've been playing MLB The Show a lot. You've been locked in. (laughs)
1: Might be, might be. (laughs)
0: You've been locked into the game of baseball. Um, And so now speaking of You know, obviously the postseason with baseball obviously being big. Now we're seeing the start of the seasons. The Bruins obviously starting. Northeastern hockey started a week ago. We could talk about either one of them to start. We'll talk about both. I'll let you pick. What do you want to talk about first? The Bruins or Northeastern hockey?
1: Uh, I guess we can go Northeastern hockey first. I mean, obviously very early in the season there. Much earlier in the season for the Bruins, who are in their first game tonight. But... Definitely. Houston well, hockey, big things, big things.
0: Definitely. So starting out the season, they are now 3-0, winning two games in the Hockey East against Vermont on Friday and Saturday night. 5-2 Friday night, 5-0, Saturday night. They beat Long Island in the opener at Matthew Arena. Me and you were both at that game. Three to two overtime win. Huge goal there from Vinny Borgese. Northeast really needed that. And look at them yes, now. Sir. 3-0. Obviously it was a very close game would have been bad to start the season 0 and 1 especially considering how hot we were at the end of last season at Matthews Arena we were great at Matthews Arena all season last year and then obviously it would have been tough to start the season 0 and 1 but they found a way to win that game then obviously won those two games against Vermont by a combined score of 10 to 2 scoring 5 goals in both games i know obviously you're a big fan of those new recruits coming in cam lund is your favorite i believe correct
1: Yes, yeah, sir. I've liked him since the draft. When he went ahead of Jack Hughes, I just had to do my research and uh, after knowing that he was obviously going to be a member of the Huskies this year. And everything I saw, he looked great. And uh, since he's come to the college level, first three games, he's he's been absolutely terrific. I, I don't know how point totals on him right now. I got it right uh, here.
0: It One goal, fantastic. two assists, three points in three games. Also got 12 shots. Yep. He's not afraid to light it up. With a plus six rating. Very impressive. Best plus minus yep. rating on the team.
1: Yeah, which is for a first year player, I mean, and coming up to, you know, obviously a high D one level, uh, he's he's played unbelievably well. Um Definitely. you know, obviously up and into the role that he has to top six, you know, you, you gotta vacate the spots of a lot of guys, like you said, the Jacksons who left uh last off season and everything like that, and they they've looked very good. This team has gelled very well. They I feel like they haven't missed a beat. You and I got locked in uh really? to a lot of their game towards the end of last season and Now, I mean, it it just feels like they picked up where they left off and some. You got a top 15 team against, uh, they're playing against the Friars this weekend. So that'll be obviously a huge test. Um, And if they can take them down too, I mean, you know, the sky is the limit moving forward.
0: Definitely. I think I had them in my predictions in the finals. I don't want to jinx anything, but I think they have the best... Most well-rounded team in all college hockey. If you look at it, they have one of the best goal scorers in college hockey. Aiden McDonough, three goals and two assists. Five points in three games played. Then you got Justin Winscovy and two goals as well. I mean, you got guys that are coming in. These are freshmen. Jack Williams with the goal. Matthew Ponte is the second year, but Jack Williams with the goal. Vinny Borgesi with the goal. Those are two newcomers there. Braden Doyle, a transfer from BU with the goal. Cam Lunder, freshman. That's four scorers in your first three games that are all first-year guys at Northeastern, whether they're a transfer or a freshman, Very impressive they're getting goals from guys that didn't score. You know, obviously last year we have a lot of goal scorers with McDonough coming back and Colangelo and Fontaine. You know, Fontaine, Colangelo both have a goal each. Obviously Chipani has a goal and then two from Ritzkovia. But you're getting four more goals from guys that weren't in the team last year. So I think this team's better than they were last year, obviously losing Jordan Harris, the anchor of Northeastern hockey for the last four years. And I don't mean you pointed this out that Northeastern hockey, there's a different feeling on the ice or when you're watching the game, but there's a different feeling when the Huskies are on the ice with Jordan Harris out there, which I know
1: you agree with. Absolutely.
0: You're, you just feel so comfortable with them out there. Now you don't have that safety blanket. But, I mean, the defense looked pretty good. Obviously had a tough two goals in that Long Island game, uh, both of them being, you know, two-on-one, three-on-twos type of thing, which happens. Uh, Northeast had to do better with that. But look, looked like they did better in that game against Vermont on Friday. And then Saturday, obviously winning 5 to nothing, things look uh, looking up for them. And you look at it, Devin Levi – the best goalie in college hockey, probably, I would say. I know I'm a big Semp guy, but I'd say Levi's probably the best. Even though I'd put Semp in the top five.
1: I would say so as well. I mean, he won best goalie last year. I think he was robbed the Hobie Baker uh, to bring a, that back. You know, I can I can guarantee the Sabres wanted him on that roster going into this year. Uh, but I think he obviously is a huge part of Northeastern success, especially why they were rated so highly going into the season, and they've just continued to prove that game after game.
0: Definitely. And you look at the stats. I mean, three games played. Four goals allowed in those three games with a 1.33 goals against per game average. And then also a 94.5% save percentage with 69 saves on 73 opportunities. And then also a 3-0 record, which is very impressive. I mean, you're going to look at his stats every single game and say, wow, you know, he had 30 saves. But a lot of those saves, some are ridiculous saves, which we saw on the Beanpot last year, Seth made some ridiculous plays, which you'll look at. It. He might have only 20 saves one night, 25 saves, which, I mean, he's been actually facing a lot of shots. But there were a couple games last year. Or if you look at it, actually, in that Vermont game on Friday night, only 15 saves on 17 shots. So you look at it, only 15 saves. But some of those are probably ridiculous plays. I mean, every night, you're not going to face 35, 40 shots. But I'm just saying, he might not lead college hockey in saves because, I mean, who knows? And he's only faced, you know, how many shots is that? Uh, 73 shots in three games, which is actually a good amount. But point being is, though, he's going to be up there at save percentage no matter what. And then also with average as well i know they take in account total saves too but at the same time that just could mean your defense isn't great and you're facing 40 shots a game you know what i mean
1: yeah absolutely
0: so it'll be interesting to see what happens there obviously northeastern being three you zero, great start to the season and if you look at it i mean look at all the freshmen i mean i know we pointed out a couple of them already borgiasi williams lund but there's some other guys too honey mcdonald had a goal uh had an assist jackson dorrington two assists uh You look at another one, Harrison Chesney, he's been playing a couple minutes too. Uh, So that's the thing. I think this Northeastern team is the deepest team they've had since I became a fan of them since I believe I was in third grade. I was a fan of them, and I became a lot bigger fan over the last four or five years now, but probably five years now. But I think this is the deepest team they've had, and definitely in your three years at Northeastern, four years now, I'd say it's the deepest team. You'd agree?
1: Oh, absolutely. I I think, you know, even just through three games, you can tell. I mean, obviously, a lot of the guys... uh, up front, that stayed. Uh, you talked about them: Colangelo, Gunnar Wolf, you know, leading scorer Aiden McDonough, and then to add the guys that they have as well. Um, it's just been it's just been a great, great three games so far, and I think they'll continue to build on that.
0: Definitely. And one last thing I want to mention about that northeastern team is that obviously they had a great recruiting class, getting seven guys in the NHL draft being drafted. Obviously, one of them being a North- northeastern player already. Jack Hughes was a freshman last year. They bring in. Six draft picks, and I think a couple of them are playing in the USHL, so maybe five out of six of those draft picks that weren't on the team last year. Bringing those guys in obviously is big for the team. Then you're also bringing back a lot of talent as well. And with bringing back a lot of talent, that means you have guys that would be on the first line or second line of some teams or on the third and fourth line of this Northeastern team. And one is Riley Hughes, one of the best setup guys on the Northeastern team. He's on the third line. And that just shows how deep they are. And I know the Jacksons, Ty Jackson, Dylan Jackson, both of them went to Arizona State, and rightfully so to get playing time because both of them should be first, maybe second line at worst on a college hockey team. They would have been third and fourth line probably on this on this Northeastern team, which is ridiculous. To oh, yeah.
1: I know it is, and it's it's a great thing you you said too. They have so much depth right now. And you know, obviously, you're playing a long season, uh, and you need to be able to roll out four lines, three deep pairings, who are all going to be able to battle every shift. And I think that's what they have right now. And it's not just those guys who you, you know you can get like um, good shifts out of them, and they can you know keep the keep the puck in the offensive zone. But you have guys on all four lines who who can light the lamp at any moment. I mean, definitely. you know, they need, they have um, you know, like they said, like you said, they can roll out any line, and definitely, uh, it looks like you know they can do damage.
0: Definitely. And so we'll see what happens, obviously, against Providence this weekend. And they also play next Tuesday night at Matthews Arena against Northeastern. So I know me and you will be locked into that game, hopefully, if we can both make it happen. Um, but, yeah, so Northeastern, big year for them, obviously, starting off the year 3-0. and And I was trying to mention one more thing, and I forget. Oh, I just looked at their stats. Northeastern doesn't have one player on their team with a negative plus-minus rating, which is ridiculous. Everyone has a positive plus-minus rating or a zero. So an even or a positive plus-minus rating. Isn't that ridiculous?
1: Uh, yeah, that is insane.
0: Plus six, obviously, for Lund. Four for McDonough and Ritzkovian. I know Ritzkovian, which I know we'll move on to the Bruins really quickly, but Ritzkovian, one of your favorite players on that Northeastern team. I know you think he's very undervalued, hopefully a Bruins prospect in the future, but imagine uh, yeah. Ritzkovian with, you know, obviously Jack Hughes. That, that, that's got to be the two best centers... And our college hockey, the best one-two punch among centers in college hockey. And if you look at it, if you had Ty Jackson, that would have been the best one-two-three. So it's just crazy how deep they are that you could have ritz and or Hughes on the first or second line and not skip a beat.
1: Yep, like you said, I mean, Ritz-Kovian, obviously, I know you've cited this before, great face-off player. I've seen many uh, college hockey scouts and everyone like that say he's probably one of the most um, undervalued players in the game right now. Definitely. And I, you know, having that one-two punch... Um, and obviously possession being such a big part of the game that want to face off so much of the time. Uh, it's it's going to be a great season, and I'm, I'm hoping they can continue to build on this 3-0 record and uh, continue to go from there.
0: Definitely. Uh, love talking Northeast hockey with you. We'll move on to the Bruins really quick. I know now they're in intermission. Uh 3 to 2 Bruins lead. Got three points out of David Pastrnak, 3 to 2 Bruins lead. He's got points on all three goals on all three scores by the Bruins. Got a goal and two assists, four shots on goal. Obviously David Krejci coming back. He's got two assists. Patrice Bergeron got the scoring started for the Bruins in the first period with the goal, and then obviously Taylor Hall added a goal as well. So, good start for the Bruins so far. What have you seen out of them?
1: Um, I think they not a close obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think they when, – when they were up 3-0, they looked great. Uh, after that, they didn't look so hot. Um, yep. But what I, what I will say, I think um, I'm I'm, I'm kind of liking the new offensive or, uh, and defensive coaching style that Montgomery has kind of brought to the yep. team. Uh, I, I've heard a lot of people say they think it's going to unleash Passenach a little bit more, kind of let him off – let him loose. He already has two points in two periods tonight. Uh, so it's a great sign. Obviously, would love to see them come out with the win. You want to make sure that uh, – Coach Mark can rile those guys up in the locker room and make sure they know they're uh, they're going to be locked in and you know ready to go take this game on the road uh, with game one and you know obviously you want to start off with a win. I, I mm-hmm. think people are down on the Bruins this year and I don't really know why. Maybe I injuries, it,
0: right? With obviously yeah, I, and Moshin and
1: um, <laughs> but Nike when those guys, I, yeah, when those guys come back, the team's only going to be better. And as you could see through two periods now, you know they've look, they've looked good, and yeah. I think. Um, Play a good I, I don't,
0: Capitals I, team, mind you. Play a good Capitals. Yeah, Capitals are good.
1: I don't think people should be as low in the Bruins as they are. I think they'll definitely finish top three in the division. That's my hope, at least. Um, I'd love for them to finish top two, but, you know, the division is just so stacked. Uh, but once, as you've seen in years past, once you get to the playoffs, it's, it's anybody's game, and you need a lot of things to go your way, and hopefully that can happen for the Bees this year.
0: Definitely. And think you look at it, I mean, they're playing against Darcy Kemper, and he obviously had a great run last year for that Avalanche team. Ended up winning them um, a Stanley Cup title. And you got three goals on him already to start. I know, obviously, he gave gave up some goals last year in the playoffs. But he's a good goalie. So scoring three goals against him, even without your probably best goal scorer, besides Poshanok, obviously Brad not being there, not being healthy, doesn't help. But you're without your second best goal scorer, probably. I think is probably the best. I think you'd agree there, probably, too. Without your second best goal scorer, and then obviously without your best defenseman. And Grizzik's very sound as well, so McAvoy not being there, your best defenseman. (laughs) Being in this game three to two, I think that's a positive note right away. Obviously, losing, you know, two straight, giving up two straight goals, losing the lead, and now only being up three to two isn't great. But you finish out the game, win the game three to two. That's all that matters, and I think you'd agree with that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you want you want them to get off to a good start, and I think they will ultimately. I think I think they could pull out this game. Uh, I hope, and you know, I I have a lot of faith in Coach Jim. I know a lot of people didn't want to move away from Cassidy, but. I think he could bring a lot of good things to this hockey team that we haven't really had in a while. I think his offensive coaching style is something the Bruins have honestly lacked for more than a decade now, um, and we can see how it plays out. I think most guys in this team are still going to get back; they're still going to have that kind of two-way game. Uh, you know, especially with Bergeron as the captain, he's he's going to instill that in them. And I think I think there's good things ahead.
0: Definitely, I'm excited to see what happens for them. Uh, any other notes about the Bruins? Cause I want to make one more quick topic uh, change talk about the Patriots for a second. But anything else about the Bruins?
1: Uh, I'm all good there. I think I think I cover most of my points. Right.
0: I so. love it. I love it. Yeah, I always know you've got some hot takes too. So I just want to see if you had any. You know me and you love our hot takes. One hot take before the season might have been Mac Jones losing his job. I don't think anyone would have had that in the books. But baby zappy, I saw today that Bill Belichick said there could be a competition when Mac Jones is back healthy. I think Mac Jones is still your starting quarterback. But that would have been a hot take in of the offseason thinking Mac Jones lost his job. And who knows? Zappi played very well last week against the Lions. Obviously, the Lions don't have a great defense. But he was 17-21, very efficient, with 188 passing yards, a touchdown, and an interception. What have you seen out of him?
1: Um, I, I like the way he's been able to manage the game. I mean, coming in on Lambeau Field for his first game is a, as was that a backup. But initially a third, third string.
0: string. Third string guy coming in, stepping oh. in, and... Making yeah. Played well in that game. 10-15, 99 yards and a touchdown.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's no joke. Especially, you know, obviously a very, very threatening situation. Uh, you could see him on the broadcast being coached up on the sideline by uh, Belichick. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's the cries to nobody the way his coaching style is. Uh, but the way he's been able to manage the games, you know, I almost led them to a win in Green Bay. I, I have a lot of faith in him. I think he's good. I think it's great. I honestly, when... Mac Jones went down, wanted them to put in Zappy. I wanted to see if the rookie could sling it. And I think, you know, obviously there's more upside there with him than with Hoyer, uh, just because, you know, how Definitely. he's filled up fast. And I know it's Bell's, Belichick's familiarity with him and everything, that's... The
0: trust. Uh, he has trust yeah, Hoyer, knowing he's going to know the system, yep. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I think with Zappy now, I, I hope, you know, they can pull out another winning Cleveland this weekend, and... uh yeah, obviously, you know, the better that they can do while Mac is down, and then you can get back your, you know, I guess by default Pro Bowl quarterback from last year.
0: Yeah, he was a Pro Bowl last year. Not wrong. I think yeah. I like Mac. I just think he wasn't in a good situation, obviously, this year. The offensive line mm-hmm. not being as good. I mean, the offensive line's all right, but I'm not going to blame it on that. I'm going to blame it on Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. And then also, which I don't want Joe Judge near my offense. I think at the end of the day, you see what the Giants are doing now. I think that's mainly because Joe Judge isn't there. The Giants are getting so much production out of Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, even the defense uh, getting uh, great numbers out of Dexter Lawrence, getting great numbers out of Dory Jackson. Those are four guys that have been breaking out for the Giants team in offensive defense. Four guys that have the great greatest of years last year that are really breaking out now. So I don't know if Joe Judge is going to bring that Patriots luck, if Patriots offense any luck. I think he's, at the end of the day, why I was down on Mac Jones this year. It's not an indictment against Mac. It's obviously that. And then also, if you look at it, the Patriots really don't have a wide receiver one. I'm not saying you need a wide receiver one to be an elite quarterback, but it definitely helps. I think in today's day of the NFL, you need to have at least a guy you can throw to, whether he's not a wide receiver one or not. You need a guy you can rely on in the red zone, and I think at the end of the day, the Patriots have too many wide receiver two-slash-threes. I know the Giants don't have a wide receiver one on our own either, so I'm not saying you know, every team in the league has one. The Giants should have had one a Galladay day with that signing. I mean, I was never the biggest fan of it, but at the end of the day, I think Max Jones would benefit – From a wide receiver one, maybe having someone to look at. Like, uh, I mean, it's going to be very hard to get a guy like Devontae Adams. But you look at what Aaron Rodgers did last year with Devontae Adams, and you look at Aaron Rodgers this year, there's a decline. It just shows how great a wide receiver one can make a a quarterback. And you look at Cooper Cup. Was good with Jared Goff, right? And Matt Stafford was good with Galladay, And then he was putting up, you know, top of the league numbers with Cooper Cups. I think a wide receiver one makes a huge difference. Besides, I mean, guess Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't need a wide receiver one if you look at this year. Kevin Kelsey is technically a wide receiver when he was a tight end. But you would agree with that. I think Mac Jones could benefit from maybe a top wide out.
1: Yes, I completely agree. I mean, I think that's kind of why they decided to bring in a guy like Devontae Parker, who was a very low price, could-be wide receiver one. Definitely. He has the, high,
0: the size and the height. You need that.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, you put him outside and he can go up and make plays. He did have a 100-yard receiving game earlier this year, mm-hmm. uh, I think is kind of the promise and what they were hoping – um, that they would find out of him, and uh, after that point, you know, obviously the, things haven't gone his way. He didn't have a reception this week on one target, I think it was.
0: Yeah, but, not uh, much. Didn't do so, much.
1: Exactly, but like you said, uh, you know, it, a wide receiver one and a, a true wide receiver one that can do wonders for a quarterback. And I think that'll be huge for Mac Jones to have. But definitely, you look as that Brady got it done with and his third playoff runs. I mean, what was it Super Bowl Fifty One? Edelman was great unbelievable, but he wasn't that stereotypical, like, put him outside and he can, you know, go catch a mm-hmm. long ball like Brad Adams or whoever. And yeah. Brady was able to guys like Hogan and things like that, you know, and then he went to the MLL. And I say it all the time. I think Brady was the glue that kind of held Belichick's philosophy of football together. Definitely. I definitely the guys and, you know, they're, they're, obviously Brady had Moss back in the day, but I mean, I'm just thinking more recent memory, of course, mm-hmm. um, in that now he has... Evans and Godwin in Tampa, but I just think that Brady really was the guy who held everything together. And obviously, that's so easy to say because he's the goat. Mm. Um, but I'm just hoping that you know at some point the Patriots can kind of right the ship and prove me wrong, honestly, because I, I'm not too high on them this year. I'm I'm hoping that Zabby can kind of continue to string together wins. Lions weren't a great team. You know, the Browns aren't really a great yeah, team. Hey, you got the either.
0: Browns, Bears, and the Jets. I mean, you can, even, even the Colts after that. I mean, four teams that are winnable games probably. I think you'll exactly. be.
1: And this, this is the part of the season where, like, I feel like this happened last year. They they string some wins together against some, like, subpar teams, and all of a sudden everyone's so high in the Patriots. But I still don't see that happening. I mm-hmm. see them potentially winning two out of the next three, maybe three out of the next four, which would be unbelievable, especially with Zappian for what could be all of those games. Mm-hmm. I I just don't see that completely changing my outlook on the season because you saw what happened last year as well. I think we were a better team then. We saw JC Jackson, who's great. Um, mm-hmm. Just I, obviously, once we got to the playoffs, we got Molly Wops. So I yeah. just don't see even even a four and or five and stretch in the middle of the season against subpar teams isn't going to completely change my outlook on you know this
0: season. Yeah. I get. That. I think one positive note for the Patriots was in the first three games, it was turnovers were the big issue with the offense. Eight turnovers in those first three games. Obviously, your passing yards were up. You had 193 in week one against the Dolphins, 252 against the Steelers in week two, and then 302 against the Ravens. You've gone down in passing yards numbers: 104 against the Packers and then 188 against uh, the Lions. But that's also because you got a rookie quarterback in there now, Bailey Sabby, really just learning the offense. But the turnovers are down. You only have two turnovers in the last two games. One in each of those last two games with the Packers and the Lions. And your defense is still forcing turnovers as well. Two turnovers you forced. In each of the last four games, so eight turnovers the last four games, two in each of those games. you guys are going to stay in games, even against that Packers team. You don't need to throw over three hundred yards to win games. Look at it. look at Daniel Jones. We haven't had three hundred passing yards, but we're, we're four and one. I mean, you guys, the offense has looked. Still all right, even without Mac Jones. at 104 passing yards against Green Bay, and you almost beat them. Lost in OT. And then, obviously, 188 against the Lions. You're up by a ton against the Lions, 29 nothing. so you're not going to really be passing the ball much anyways. But one positive for that Patriots team is the turnovers were an issue with Mac Jones on the center. I think it's obviously learning the new system for him. That might be a reason he was turning the ball over, but now you look at only two turnovers in the last two games. If you limit your turnovers, you will be in every game in the NFL, realistically. Most games in the NFL, if you limit turnovers, you will be in the game.
1: Exactly, and I think... I, that's why you know a, a lot of teams that are you know very positive in turnover differential right now are the teams who who have like the best records. Definitely, I, think I saw Philly like was the only team who won the turnover battle every single week so far this season, um, and obviously that's a huge part of why they're undefeated right now. And uh, you know we'll see if that changes against Cooper Rush, who's undefeated as a starter with the Cowboys right now.
0: Ridiculous uh, that is he's two yeah. and uh, four zero. Oh, whatever, it's it, wild.
1: It's insane. I think that defense is a huge part of why they're doing so well. But say what you want about Russ, I think he's very good at managing the game. He's he's locked in. He, he doesn't make stupid decisions um, most of the time. Obviously, you can't say it all at the time about every quarterback. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, and we'll see if they can if they can go to Philly and get a win.
0: Definitely. Anyways, bucket. I let you get back to the Bruins. Oh, the Bruins will be in the. Th- they probably start at third period right now, right?
1: Uh, I think they so. might have yeah
0: third period hey, I'll let you go and watch it but hey thank you so much for coming on definitely have you on again always a pleasure having you come man. on and talk sports you know it all kid of
1: course of course go Huskies alright have a good night go
0: Huskies baby roll skis yes sir
1: and go bees,
0: of course, of course go bees, thank baby you already know alright take it easy
1: you too thank you so much
0: so there you have it Mark Walsh Coming on the podcast, is debut on the year. So his season debut here on the podcast. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on. Always a pleasure talking sports with you. Always a pleasure talking anything with you. Kids, a pleasure to be around. Uh, and as I said, check out his music on Spotify. Mark Walsh has a couple songs up there now. Three songs up there. Reappear, Time Zone, and Thinking 2. That is his most recent single, is Thinking 2. And then also, hopefully we have more songs coming out soon. So I'll keep you guys posted on that. One last thing I want to mention. The Padres and Dodgers, top second Top second of the of the second inning, so top half of the second inning. It is one to one. The Padres hit a home run in the first inning with Manny Machado hit a home run off Clayton Kershaw. Then the Dodgers return the favor with Freddie Freeman hitting a home run in the bottom half of the first inning with Clayton Kershaw going. Now it's one in the third inning's pitch with three hits allowed. As for You Davish, he gave up that home run to Freddie Freeman in the bottom half of that first inning. He's only given up one hit. It was that home run. So one-to-one ball game right now in the top of that second inning. Hopefully, it'll be a good game. Root for the Dodgers to win, as I said. Hopefully, win in four games. But anyways, that concludes today's episode. I will be back on Tuesday night with the Primetime Sports Podcast from 7 to 8 p.m. on WZBC AM Sports Radio. And then on Wednesday night, next Wednesday, so a week from today, I will be on with Zach with the playbook with Joey and Zach. That'll be our debut on the year. So thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this as always. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.